Hey, welcome to this episode of Hollywood Breaks. It's good to be with you. We brought back Sean Heron and to get some insight of what Gearbox is gearing up for. He discusses some strategy of growth, so how they're covering the bases and some amazing potential of what storytellers contribute to every form of entertainment. So enjoy this episode and welcome to Hollywood Breaks. Back in the day, my wife and I would take dates to go see movies, but now we're in the post COVID, we're in the COVID world and we had like a, such a long gap of not having a babysitter and going out and doing anything. When we go out with a babysitter, we're not seeing movies. We're doing anything but like going at a drink, dinner, but because the movie experience is like us sitting in it and it's basically it's too similar to what we've been doing during COVID, right? It's like hmm. oh, it's yeah. movie night at home. So in that world, we're like, how about we just do an early lunch and go see a movie? Um, we don't do it all the time. It has to be something that will pull us out of a out of our house where it makes sense to see in a, in a big screen. Cause we know, you know, if you, you've been in the industry, you kind of know when those windows are coming and how long you need to wait. And most of the time I'm willing to wait. Um, but for those movies, I wasn't. So we, we found the time to do it. That's great. So Keith, what, how was it? You, you kind of like, I'm all stacked in, right? You give Sean, cause Sean was one of the people harassing you. Yes, he was. When, as soon as he, <laughs> yeah, you weren't alone, Sean. Just so you know, you weren't the only one. Uh, I did get a lot of harassment for that, but uh, uh, I, I really liked it. I enjoyed it. Uh, it was a great experience. It was. I kind of wrote a little bit about this this week. You know, it kind of reminded me of how much I love going to the movies and being in a theater. And I got to be honest, and I, I've said this in the podcast before. When I left LA, I was a little jaded, and the whole peeking behind the curtain, working in industry, had kind of poisoned me a little bit on the you know the film experience but going back it reminded me how much i love it and then you know again seeing all three spider-mans on the screen and the way they were as sean pointed out earlier threaded able to thread all these different stories together the villains it's great to see william defoe who's just kills it every time he's on camera um it was just it was a great it was awesome i enjoyed it it had a lot of great emotional moments which were unexpected and I just think they did a great job with all three because I saw all three. Garfield, man, yeah, that was amazing. Like the the way they the way they reminded us of how good of a Spider Man he was. He just was not given the right materials That's to exactly be right. the best yep. Spider Man. Yep. yep. Um, and you know he's a heavyweight actor, right? That guy, right. that guy goes knows what he's doing. And then in those little small moments, not only did he would you know did he kind of tell you the story between the last movie to now without actually showing it. He got redemption for his character and kind of what led him down that path all in yeah. the same. So it was, um, yeah. you know, I'd sign up to see more of him. 100%. Oh yeah, absolutely. Agreed. Okay. Well, we're obviously sponsored by Gearbox Entertainment today because that is the largest brand we have on our screen besides <laughs> Fight Club. <laughs> <laughs> you get paid work, extra I, to have that. No, I, I work for I work in a, with a company full of like really talented people, uh, and I'm not including myself in that. Of course not. Um, and they are very technical, and they could do amazing things. And so, um, we were doing so many Zoom meetings and and conferences and uh, investor presentations now because we're part of the Embracer Group. They're like, let's let's represent, and you know, this is what I got. So I look I look fantastic. You so look I'm, great. Yeah. <laughs> I think we need to up our game a little bit. We don't have at all the branding we need. To. Yeah, yeah. I, the movie posters are. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta. We gotta design something back here because my movie posters and my beautiful drapes aren't really cutting it anymore. We're making it happen. <laughs> all right. So what's going on with Gearbox, man? Give, give us the update on uh, 
on the movie. Yeah, I, 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 well, I think it's been it's been a while since we last talked. Um, yes. You know, so you know, Gearbox has had a great year. Um, you know, the beginning of the year we joined the Embracer group, and that unlocked a lot of awesome things for us. But we had a, a definitely a lot of stuff happening uh, that we're now people are now seeing. We've got a great game coming out um, next year called Tiny Tina's Wonderlands. It's a spinoff of, of the Borderlands franchise. It's a it's our take on fantasy uh, within that world. Um, it's got amazing voice actors, uh, Wanda Sykes and Adam, Adam Sandberg and um, and Will Arnett are in it. And, you know, right now we're really, really pumped about where that where that's heading and we're excited where that's going to go. But within the you know, broadly speaking, like that's just us expanding the franchise. And I think the movie is just the continuation of that. Um, it's not based it's it's inspired by the the, the the IP, but obviously we're trying to take a, a take that makes sense for the medium for the you know film. Um, sure, I it's new for me. Um, like before, I was I read scripts and I saw finished products because I was mostly on the you know the the ancillary parts of the business. And now that I that I'm in Gearbox in my my role, I get to actually see rough cuts and and talk to directors and. And not that I have a ton of influence, but it's 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 new. And and I don't think I'm knowledgeable to know to what good looks like. Like people in our field call them dev goggles when they look at a game at a certain point. Um, oh, we lost him. No, I think I'm that's sorry. a he's got a plug. Um, but they could look at a game at a certain point in its life cycle, and they they could kind of project forward what it's doing. And thankfully, we got a lot of great people that we work with who have movie goggles and they could see a rough cut and kind of know where it's going to trend. So we're in post um, and we're, you know, we're actively involved in, uh, in the, in, in the edits and, and post-production. Um, you know, we got a great relationship with the Arads and Eli Roth and, um, and the Lionsgate team has been super generous and giving Gearbox a voice at the table and, and not just be a, you know, a rubber stamp, but really taking, taking our advice acknowledging our knowledge of the IP and our fan base. And so it's been, it's been a lot of fun. Obviously I can't give any updates on the date, but it, it, but there, there's excitement on where it's trending. That's great. Isn't it interesting that the Gearbox has this opportunity to uh, work with their IP, be in the entertainment space and just expand it. I think that's some of what's exciting about the evolution of Hollywood and looking at entertainment as a larger from a larger perspective of what is entertainment and who has the right to do certain IP or whatever. I feel like before, all I'll say, like, let's say in, in our lifetime, our experiences is that you had to get a green light through a traditional studio in order for it to be even, no matter where the IP originally came from, a book or video game, you know, television show, whatever that original is, there was always some kind of green light situation. It sounds to me like you guys are just, you just jumped ahead and said, we're gonna be, we're gonna be making our own entertainment. We're gonna be in our own studio. We don't need anyone's permission. Um, obviously Borderlands is a, a bit of our older strategy, right? It's, it's more partnering with, with lines, Lionsgate and making that happen. And right now we've, we've actually formed a, a Gearbox Studios, which is really focused on how do we take our IP and maximize that in, in the linear and, and transmedia spaces. Um, we've got a couple projects in development, maybe have some news soon on one of them. Um, I think all of them, at least in the short term, will require... Uh, a significant partnership with a with some with a studio or a platform, right? We're we're not in the business of selling subscriptions and streaming, and we're not 
able to get content into screens. Uh, so we'll still always have that uh, partnership and you know, um, who knows if that changes, but we are actively investing in developing the, pa- the, the, the project being, you know, signing talent, hiring writers, uh, you know, doing concept art, like what to get to a place where we feel really good about, you know, how it lives up to the, the pillars of what we have for the IP and the strategy we're trying to deploy with it. Uh, doesn't guarantee success, but it gives you um, more control over over it, um, both creatively and potentially economically, um, because you're you're handing uh, essentially a, 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 a fully baked project. Um, Borderlands was an option agreement. What it was a hey, we want to make we believe in your IP, we want to make it big, and then it took a long time to get it to where it is today. Um, and, and there's advantages and disadvantages. The advantages are it's like there's no risk capital. You're just you know, you're, it's happening or it's not. The disadvantage is it could sit on a shelf. Uh, thankfully, it ultimately didn't. Um, so we're trying to have a have our cake and eat too, where we're investing enough to have enough control and agency, but not enough where we're diverting substantially from what our core business is, which is creating IP and creating interactive inter- entertainment. Yeah, that's amazing. I wanted to ask you because you, I know you did that interview with uh, Barclays uh, last week, and you mentioned something. It's interesting you bring up core competencies, you, you did say something in there that it's important for, even if you're licensing IP to sort of broaden your audience and whatnot, but not stray too far from your core competencies. I want to ask you, do you think like companies like Netflix, who are now diving into the video game space and there's talk of Apple maybe getting more involved as well, do you think they're stretching a little bit too far or do you think they just want to monetize as much as possible? Because for example, with Netflix, they're having some issues with their subscriber numbers that were released yesterday, as well as their estimates for Q1 of this year. Do you think it's they're going beyond their core competencies, or do you think this is is a, is a smart play for them? I, I think just like in any field, and especially in our industry, it, it comes down to people, right? Like who who are you, um, in char- you know, putting in charge of this initiative, and and how much gravity do they have by the organization to really succeed, right? Um, because this isn't an industry that you could just like dip your toe into. You have to fully commit, and it could take a long time before you find some real material success. Uh, they did, I think, a good job hiring Mike Verdu on the Netflix front. I know him; he's a great, really great guy. He's been in the industry a long time, and I and I feel like they wouldn't make that investment in him if they didn't have a commitment to to seeing this through. Um, will it end up paying off? I guess it depends on how they're positioning it and what's their strategy and how long they want to take to make it right. When you think of what Google did with Stadia, they they were positioning it as a, a console alternative, um, which I, ultimately I think ultimately proved out to be not the best way of mark positioning that that platform, right? Um, so the same thing with Netflix is like, well, what are you trying to do? How are you what to, what's a consumer you're trying to attack, and are and and how are you how do you want them to view you? Is it an alternative? Is it an addition to? Um, because getting not only to get gamers to to try and then stick, you're trying to change behaviors, right? From I'm turning my computer on, let's play. I'm turning on my console, let's play. I have my phone, let's play. To no, now go onto this platform and try this game. And it's different because, so, so, so there's a lot of behavioral change that needs to happen. And if they were focused on creating differentiated experiences that are unique to their platform and unique to the IP that they're creating, I think they have a chance to do something and carve themselves out a niche. I obviously don't know the strategy, but that's just kind of my my two cents. Um, 
Apple's similar, you know, they're, you know, it's like who, who, who's in charge, what's the mission, what's the mandate. Um, and I think you're talking about Apple Arcade. Um, you know, I, 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 they obviously have a captive audience. They have, you know, if their, if their mission is to, to try to increase the LTV of that user base um, versus trying to create a gaming ecosystem. They're kind of, they could be the same, but slightly different tactics. Um, I don't know if that answered your question, but you know, it comes down to who and how much support do they have and ultimately what's the end goal and, and giving them time to kind of maturize to it. Um, the challenge ultimately with what's happened with media companies over time is cultural clashes, right? It's the, 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 the consumer product CPG type mentality being applied to the creative risk-taking culture of like what a video game company is. And then those just don't match well. And, and uh, depending on how they balance those things, you could have your cake and eat it too. And what I think is unique about Embracer is that that's the parent company of Gearbox is that we're, you know, we're all independent um, entrepreneurial companies kind of attacking our own lane. So it really doesn't force synergies uh, across the, the, the operating units. And we just, announced an acquisition of Dark Horse and Asmodee, which is the largest board game company in the world. Um, I think there's a better chance for all that to work and, and synergize in that model where we're all incentivized to collaborate, but not to force any synergies, then, then okay, now I'm subsuming your business and trying to make it fit within our company and our culture. So, so that's usually where the, where, where the historically things have fallen off on how those two kind of industries mesh. Is that strategy just like a desire to stay relevant? Like, do you feel like those are necessarily ingredients to keep on being relevant and competing in the marketplace? And that type of growth, does it technically help you achieve that relevance? Or is the desire to just, you know, kind of have a wide spectrum just in case the technology or the behavioral changes are fitting a certain area, you're, you know that your, your bases are covered? Um. I think it's com- it's probably a bit of both, but the first thing that comes to mind is that if you're in the media entertainment business and you're not paying attention to interactive entertainment, like it's the fastest growing, second biggest, and the most important medium that's ever been created, right? In terms of like what it actually does and how people interact with it, totally, you'll you'll ultimately become a dinosaur. Like it, it, it will happen. Now, where you fit within it, so don't you always feel like you're just in that up point? Like you feel like you're cutting edge already, right? Like you know that there will be dinosaurs because they're not paying attention to interactive space and you're, you have a relevance, right? There's, there's a, a, there's a big elephant in the room saying, by the way, if you're not looking over here, then you're not looking at that entertain current entertainment, let alone future entertainment. Yeah, I think so. I, I think so. But this evolution that's taking place, is there a necessary part? I, I think I cut you off your second before you answer, but is there a necessary part to stay relevant that way? Yeah, I don't know if there's a necessary part. I think you could. there's a lot of places in the value chain and the ecosystem that, that companies could find a foothold in, right? You don't all have to be content creators to be in the market, in the industry. Like look at Apple. They've, they've made so much money in their app store on games. They're, they're a giant game company without even knowing it. Not without even like marketing it themselves as such. So I think there's a in in Amazon before the Amazon's game studio has AWS. Well, where do you think a lot of our game companies use for cloud computing technology, right? So so there's a lot of places for tech companies and entertainment companies to fit within kind of the the the, the this, this 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 medium and where it's where it's shifting. Yeah, because I feel that there are there. It's I don't know, this is just a 
like an impulsive feeling, but I feel like there's a gravitational pull towards um, um, the interactive space. The clearest grab is in the esports. So trying to make that more relevant, I see colleges basically develop esports team. There's just more and more coverage about esports. I think the uh, COVID crisis shutting down sports gave a- another foothold and people trying to be in that space. So all of a sudden you're saying things that seemed awkward to talk about as entertainment or sports in the past are now, you know, the frontier that most people are playing on. And as like we discovered with Keith, like it's even hard to get people to the theaters, but it's easy to keep people relevant on their video games for five, six hours a night because they can come home, eat dinner, and then do some gaming till midnight or one o'clock in the morning. So there's a whole whole. I already feel like there's a behavioral change that has shifted if we rec- if we recognize it and have that open conversation. Um, but as you were talking about all the work within Gearbox, I was thinking, is this if you are inside a Gearbox, are you also is there another chase that you have? Is there other recognition of like okay to stay relevant, to keep growing, to keep a foothold, to be a pioneer? Like how do you? What's the work you have to do to do any of those? Thanks. Or maybe easier question is, is, is it most important to be a pioneer right now or a settler? Like, is it better to establish a good base and keep it going? Or do you feel like there's still breakthroughs that need to happen? I think you got to do both, right? You, if you, if you just pick one. Oh, that's an easy answer, Sean. Come on. <laughs> put you in the hot seat. <laughs> if you think about Gearbox, we, we're, we're doing both, right? We're, we have a lot of room to, to grow and innovate within the things that we do already. Right. Um, we're, we we haven't maximized the potential of of our our talent in the software group and 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 reached enough gamers on the publishing side. So so we're being aggressive and lighting up a lot of interesting new projects. And I think where the innovation comes and and I don't use that word as a this is a novel idea and that we created it. It's the idea of like, well, what does the next great entertainment company look like? And I think. It has. It looks a lot more like a company that's able to interweave interactive and linear storytelling in a way that both mediums could succeed at the same time, without one leading the other. And how do you do that in a way that's respectful of both both cultures and both mediums and both ways in which they create content? Um, it's a real trick, right? It's like because there's been many examples of one leading the other and one being way better than the other, but like, is there, is there a world where you could have your caking into two? So that's the part where we're kind of dabbling into is, is we've gotten a, a, just enough knowledge of like how the film and television business works to start ideating with folks on that side to say, what if, what if we collaborated this way and, and taking small bets in that direction to see what that could, how that can maturize. Cause the big, you know, can you imagine a giant, now, God, I hope, hope this is true. Tenpole film with a an amazing interactive experience that that enhances each other that are that are happening at the same time. That that's never really happened. Um, and most of the time, it's because there's companies that have the potential to do that, but they're pulling in opposite directions. The cultures, the priorities don't make sense. So so that's the that's a, that's a where maybe we're we're thinking about innovation, at least from when you think of the entertainment industry. Yeah, sure. Um, Overall. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's right. I because the one thing I will say about going back to my experience going back to the theaters is 
you know, it was, it was, I mean, listen, I went to a theater in King of Prussia. It was nice, but it's like, it's not, it's not an, a new experience. You like everything feels very familiar, which is great. But again, we have, we're now at the point where we have to start convincing people to come back to the theaters. If this is really going to be the point that we're going to push a new age and sort of the theatrical experience. And I think Sean's right on. It's got to be something like a company like a Gearbox and maybe a studio or like a Disney working together to create some sort of new interactive experience that really draws people back in. And I think that's that's the future right there. And I think that's hopefully where we'll be headed. But, you know, you never know because things have been glacial paced for quite some time now in terms of innovation. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I have to say like the it feels like the buzzword of the year is NFTs, right? And the metaverse and whatever this kind of like evolution that's taking place. But what I've seen happen in that that segment of the industry is that there are people out there, they're obviously generating, just generating artwork and swapping it. So there's a there's an economy as part of that. But the ones that are taking uh, the biggest precedent, like making the biggest impression are the ones that have a story element attached to it. They have characters that you know the buyers and the owners and the developers are doing real I think that these characters have other places to evolve and grow. Um, there is um, major entertainment managers and partners and reps diving into this space so fast because they realize there's an entertainment or creator frontier taking place. But every time, what the evolution seems to be on these platforms is an evolution into interactive. It seems to be the next thing they want to do is they have character, character development, possible storyline, and then boom, they want to go into like a decentral land or you know metaverse space or whatever. From your point of view, you already are in the interactive space. The thought of that technology is something that you've already mastered, and you even have the storyline space. And I didn't know if there is a like an evolution taking place from from your angle moving into that space where some of the things you're saying i feel like i'm hearing in the nft entertainment or the nft space of this interactive live element in real world metaverse like all everyone's trying to figure out how these things come together and from what you're talking about they seem to have a little bit of a parallel i you know i'm i don't think i'm smart enough to, to have the answer but like when I think of new things like NFTs and you mentioned esports and you mentioned college esports, I actually helped do that when I was at Riot, kind of spring, how do you create scholarship programs there? So, so I've got to dabble in that a bit. Um, like at the end of the day, like we're, we need to create content that's compelling, right? That, that emotionally compels people to want to consume it. Um, and I always question first, it's like, well, what's the practical application as it relates to how the consumer will get value out of this thing and and if you're not creating something that's compelling enough doesn't matter what the technology is or, or how hot it is in the marketplace it should it doesn't make sense that we shouldn't prioritize it um just like esports is it only works when you actually have a game that people want to play competitively and you need to have a community around it that wants to support it it doesn't matter if you have a stadium it doesn't matter if you're a ball and a bat people want me to show up and play and it's the same thing with NFTs. It's the, it's it's the I love the underlying technology. I think there's some really interesting applications of it, but I think you need to be really cautious around its application and be really thoughtful about what are you what what is what is this and how does it benefit the end consumer. And right now, it feels more speculative and uh, opportunistic than it does 
um, like a true value value mover for our players. And that's what we should be thinking about first and foremost. I think being late to the party is not bad uh, when because um, you could always show up with something that's great and you'll win. Right. So um, yeah, sure. That's like Google didn't Google wasn't one of the first players in the Internet space. They after all of a lot of things were put into place. And um, I feel like the NFT space has now understood that they can get into a consumer economy easier. So but that's just still very, very early development into itself. Um, you're right. So, so the thought maybe of like using caution or for some companies to be smart and use caution, actually see where the players are, what the big utility or big value is to those players, and then know how to engage them then and not worry about these first couple of um, it kind of hits that are happening right now. I mean, it, for, from my point of view, it seems that, you know, and what's interesting to me is that there are NFTs that are launching at $100 million over a weekend and films. Marvel movies that not, aren't even making 60 million. And so you're like, wow, that's a big shift in a 12 month period to have unknown unknown items, find a new economy and find some possible growth or at least some value to create some growth in the future. Um, but Gearbox to me is like, I, you know, you're, you are already an established player source and have existing IP. It makes sense that you're leveraging it in that way. Um, What's the what's the big hurdle then? I mean, you know, like you, you talk about this a little bit in, in the Barclay article, but what's the what, what's the trajectory? What's the the real work that Gearbox or we'll just you can even say interactive um, the interactive space needs to be considering in the next you know evolution of of the industry or next year or where's the big competitors? I mean, that's an interesting one in light of all the the seismic shifts in our industry with the. Activision Blizzard and Microsoft and Zynga and Tate. That's incredible. Was it was it sixty something billion? Sixty seven billion? Just about seventy. Seventy. Yeah. Largest acquisition um, in the history of the industry, I believe. Yeah. 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 I. I mean, like I. Like I. I fundamentally believe that that the interactive bar industry is growing so fast, and there's so many different types of consumers that want to consume different types of experiences that the idea of consolidation around any one business model or any one type of game or any one type of uh, platform uh, is, I think, a wrong way of looking at it. I, I think it'll be doing a disservice to gamers if, if that's the way the world maturizes, where it commoditizes the entertainment to the point where it, it's a rinse and repeat industry. Um, we we we're I'm fortunate enough to be in a space where we're surprising, delighting gamers all the time, and from things that they didn't expect. Um, and I understand why, like a Microsoft would do what they're doing, um, and and why Take Two is doing what they're doing, what they're doing. But I think we just need to be really thoughtful around making sure that we're fueling this consumer demand with with enough types of content and different types of business models and different types of experiences across all different platforms. Otherwise, I think we might stifle the growth that we're seeing today. Um, and um, yeah, so so I think it's less about like being cutting edge and more about being more opportunistic and, and being open to experimentation and innovation because that's that's what really got us here. It didn't get us here by like, you know, creating a franchise and repeating it every year. Um, uh, so, so that that's really 
you know, and that's part of why I like working where I work is that we're not a, we're a creatively driven organization. So like ideas and types of games could come from a lot of diff- different places and they all don't have to look the same. Sure. Yeah. That Microsoft purchase of Activision is so interesting to me because it feels like the platform or the distribution channel, really, because that's what uh, Xbox is, like a distribution channel for other people's games, and then buying the studio. So now you have a kind of an ecosystem, an internal ecosystem of, of Microsoft, of Activision, all straight onto their own platform. And I, I would guess that Microsoft will leave Activision open for other other platforms, but they don't have to, right? They could basically start making exclusive only Microsoft items with such a big investment. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I feel like there should, there, it seems like there'll be a little bit of chatter for a couple of days and then it's faded off. But I'm like, that's a bigger move um, and, and a really clear item of like, oh, a tech platform needs content. We actually need games that people are know and, and are familiar with. Yeah, I think that's, there's, there's a lot of chatter around like metaverse, et cetera, but it, it is content. It is, they, they've acquired three companies that are extremely unique and exceptional what they do with an awesome IP and awesome people. And that's going to be massively beneficial to their long-term mission. It seems like it's, it's making Game Pass ubiquitous and on all platforms and really kind of blowing the top off of how big that, 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 that subscriber base could be. And if you've got that level of content coming from hopefully very talented people, you're going to compel a lot of people to subscribe, which I which I think is which is fine. The the challenge is, is aligning incentives with with creators and making sure that we're not stifling it. So yeah. th- that type of ecosystem has a ceiling for creators. Um, a Fortnite yeah. in that ecosystem would not be Fortnite. Um, true. And you know, so well said. We're seeing that across yeah. the spectrum in all entertainment, <laughs> yeah. aren't we? That's my yep. my beef with the OTT platforms. This is how they're only doing commoditized c- content to fill someone's hour. They're not developing stories. I don't think they're, um, besides hiring a na- well-named actor or actress, the directors aren't even being considered. Um, yeah, interesting. Yep. Yeah. So it's a, it's a fun time to be alive. So that would mean there's an opportunity for... Yeah, it means opportunity for somebody to... That's the breakthrough opportunities, right? When one group commoditizes another group's content, there's going to be another clear voice somewhere else and some breakthrough company or, or yeah, that's pretty awesome. That's the bet we're making, right? That's the bet we've made before all these things is that is that there are very large niches of gamers everywhere. And that while we create games like Borderlands that has tens of millions of fans that, that want to consume those games, like, does that mean that's all we need to do or all we should do? Um, we're obviously we want to grow and we want to grow to fuel fuel our passion to create more things uh but we're not grow at all costs and only grow one way and uh, i think that will lead to some awesome innovation sometimes some missteps uh, but i think that's part of what why this industry is so much fun right is um is that you could create the next Fortnite or um some or one that you know it's a footnight footnight in history right but at the end of the day you know, you're, you're still taking risks. And, and I think that's, that's, that's fun, at least for my, my seat. I think I said it before, but I swear you, you were you, like, you're a very lucky person, like the way your <laughs> career evolved to where you are now, it's like, you have found the sweet spots from step to step to step. Um, and 
this perception you have about the entertainment spectrum and then to have your uh, some firsthand uh, knowledge and firsthand experience in a growing field is just it's a brilliant opportunity. Yeah, I'm yeah, I, I definitely profess a lot of a lot of good fortune. Um, you know, but obviously being prepared when that time comes. So it's a combination of the, those two, I believe. But yeah, as, as luck is defined, isn't it? Where opportunity means prep- preparation. Means preparation. Yeah. Yeah. There it right. is. Yep. That's right. So uh, how about I ask you guys a question? Sure. Oh. So you, wow. so you turn the I've, tables. I love it. I've heard, I've heard a few times, uh, you know, like, you know, how do, how do we change the experience theatrically to make it compelling enough for people to come back outside of like content? What should they be doing? You want to take that Keith? Sure. Um, well, you know, we've, we've, we've obviously talked a lot about this on the podcast. I think, uh, you know, I think one of the big things the theaters really have to do is just make the experience a different experience. And I know it's really hard to sort of drill that down, but, you know, I've talked a little bit about even just sort of the aesthetic of the theaters themselves, like improving that and turning it away from just being a box with a bunch of theaters in it and giving it a little bit of quality to it and making it a more inviting experience. Like I said, when I walked in to the theater, when I saw Spider-Man, it was literally just this giant hall with a ginormous concession counter with candy all over the place. And the theater was okay, but it wasn't anything fantastic. I mean, it was okay, but I think there really has to be a sort of an idea with the theaters and the studios working together to figure out a way to um, uh, innovate the experience that sort of calls people back to the theaters. And with the end of the Paramount decree, Tim and I have talked a lot about this. I think it's time for the studios to step up and buy a theater and innovate it. Disney and Comcast are really good at customer experiences. They, you know, they've got their amusement parks. They can sort of apply that to sort of a theater in the middle of the country that, you know, could be a nice little experiment. You can play around with it. There are a million different ways that you can look at an experience of sitting in a theater and make it a better experience because it's just a matter of being willing to experiment. And I just think that is sort of where the theaters are not really, and the studios themselves are not really pushing the barriers the way someone like, you know, like what you guys are doing in terms of you know, expanding, starting your own studio, like looking for partnerships, you know, with the studios, but also not just limiting yourself to that and working with together as a partner versus just handing them the IP and say, okay, go make a movie. Let us see the cut when it's ready. That's like a true partnership. And I just, you know, you don't really see that anymore. And I think the evolution really needs to start with the studios and the theaters, less of this and more like, okay, we need to figure out how we can work together and kind of save this aspect of our business. Yeah, and my, from my point of view, what I've been what I've been declaring is it's the end of the blockbuster. Which so the blockbuster begins Spielberg, Lucas, this 1970s evolution, and this hundred million dollar film. And it feel like in the the late 90s, early 2000s, studios made big bets that one movie is going to be a major blockbuster, a billion dollar film, so that they can basically just produce crap after crap after crap, trying to find the ones that worked. And what happened along the way is the studio, the theaters recognized that and they started building multiplexes, 30 and 40 screens, just to see how many bodies were there. And it was relevant in the time. And those that experience was relevant time because we were simply being consumers in a gigantic consumer economy. When that, when that breaks, the theaters have to ask a new question of like, well, what's the new venue for entertainment if we're not going for the blockbuster megaplex? 
What is the new opportunity? And so Keith likes the idea of like Disney and Comcast taking over. And I almost asked the question of, should it become more raw? Like, could it, could it be something, imagine blending Coachella and a, and a movie premiere together where that the crowd understands what to do with the entertainment and they go along with it. They can still just be consumers. Like, you, you know, you watch a, a concert, you can still just be a consumer, sit there, but there's something else you're recognizing and the distribution is possibly there. Um, my thought is most people think they're trying to solve it with technology. And I don't know if that's the VR, AR world is going to be the breakthrough because I still think my wife and I want to go have a date night at a movie theater. So I, I, those are the questions that we're looking for a leadership evolution change that doesn't just figure out how to take another $20 bill out of my pocket, but recognize there's a creative opportunity for breakthrough and get the creative field back at it. I, that's the interactive space to me is I feel like the interactive space has asked those questions already and has take down the hard work of making platforms for people to consume entertainment and changing the behavior. So there is something really cool in our lifetime that you've, you've experienced a good part of it of watching the consumer change. Um, so I, I almost want to, you know, ask more about the psychology of the gamers and the psychology of the creators in the entertainment space to get a sense of what that might look like in the theatrical experience. Mm. No, I, I, I think that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. It's, um, you know, we're, you know, I, I was at Fox when DVD transitioned to Blu-ray and, you know, they had entire divisions making game movies that would go into boxes onto shelves at Walmart because that market just kept on growing because people would just consume whatever was there and then transition to Blu-ray was simultaneously with more economical rental solutions and then more digital evolution in terms of how you could get content more quickly just made that business almost impossible and mm -hmm. con contracted the, the slate down. And so, so I, yeah, I, I, I can see that being the same on the theatrical side being like, well, you know, more theaters, more bodies, more money. Um, yeah. You bring up such a, such an interesting idea is like, we used to collect our films, didn't we? Like we would have like my, almost my library was, was this history of films I've consumed so that I can show off, Hey, this is my, the spectrum of my knowledge base. There's nowhere to collect it anymore. There's nowhere to, you know, besides that Instagram feed or Keith bragging about going to see Spider-Man finally on, on a podcast. But besides <laughs> that, like there isn't, there, that is kind of a missing element. But I, just, am I wrong about this? Doesn't it feel like the gaming space has your identity attached to it? So people know that you're in the game and that little show-offness happens a little bit more in the playing field than it does in the... OTT consumer field. I mean, there was a world where people would buy the game and then sell it back, right? That was that. You know, but but because digital is becoming such a bigger piece of it, like that option has kind of gone away. But because of the ecosystems you play in, and a lot of what you do is communal. Even if you're playing by yourself, you're still connected to other people through the platform that you're playing on. Be it Steam for PC or or PlayStation, Xbox, what have you. And you have gamer tags, and you have your friends, and they're going to see what you're doing and and a lot of times you can invite them to play with you. And, and so, yeah, there is a lot more identity attached to uh, to the games you play, the people you play with, um, and, and how frequently you interact with them. Uh, versus now I consume you know, linear content and I have no one to really talk to about, right? I don't have that. Because it used to be a thing you do and then you share in person. 
Because I was watching it on Thursday night, the moments. same Thursday night, and we'd go do it. And you're watching something that I won't watch for a year and a half because I can't even, <laughs> it's not even part of my feed right now, right? Yeah. But but on the gaming side, I can I'll know what Keith is playing when he's playing it, and I could say I could jump in and play with him mm-hmm. uh, in that moment, and I and then we could share and communicate in the game, right, um, real time. So and 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 that creates stronger, more emotional ties to where you, you start associating the game with friendship and people and community. Um, and, and of course the gameplay keeps you coming back, but, uh, but your friends are what makes it more memorable. And there aren't those moments anymore um, in, in kind of the linear entertainment space. Yeah. Um, it's not communal know? anymore, is it? I think that's yeah. your, you're totally hitting it. The, a yeah. big gigantic theater is not relevant because it's not communal and people want to go. The megaplex isn't relevant because they're, because it's, if I'm going to consume in a megaplex, I might as well consume at home. And then just the timeline of distribution, the, the day and date models are messing things up. Yeah. Really interesting how that breakdown of community really does create a different shift. Right. And, but then occasionally you get something that breaks through, right. Spider-Man. Good job, Keith. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like Game of Thrones. Or- but even like Squid Game, Squid Game broke through, like it became so relevant so fast that it became a, a recent water cooler moment, but that wasn't, it's taken a while for something to kind of hit, hit that kind of momentum. It took it put yeah. great pressure for you to consume it so you could catch up and talk about it. But right. you, but you're to find the right moment when you're all in the same wavelength. It's yeah, so right. hard. Yeah, yeah, right. Because everyone had to watch it, and when we're done, we could talk about it. But midway through, you don't know where everyone else is. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. Wow, that's cool. yeah, fascinating. Well, congratulations on that Barclay article, by the way. I didn't know oh. you're world famous. <laughs> this is awesome. I don't know if anyone will read of that. Um, it was it was actually. Uh, is your mom proud of you? Your mom's gonna be she, proud of yeah. you. Right? <laughs> no, she, I, I don't think they. I don't think my parents. I'm proud of Sean. I think it's great. Like, <laughs> I, think, I was like, I know that guy for two weeks. <laughs> well, it, you know, like it, it, what I was asked by our, our comms folks to do it, but at the end of the day, like I just want to shine a light on the company and the people I work with and work for, right? And the great things and the great work they're doing and any little bit that can shine, you know, help us achieve our goals or give folks in our industry some knowledge they didn't have and how they might want to approach what they're doing. Like, I think it's beneficial. I, I think something that I've really enjoyed being on doing film, television and now games is that like, they're, the, the, we are competitive um, we're way more collaborative and, and, uh, and if we could help someone, you know, achieve their goals, even if it doesn't necessarily align with ours directly, like we'll do it. So, um, either it's going to help us or someone else in the industry. I, I doubt anyone will read it. It's fine. I'm cool with it. Um, but e- either way, like any, any chance I get to, to talk about. Dude, we read it. I want you to autograph my version and now we of just it. Talked I read about it, it. You know what? <laughs> Here's another thing. We'll link it in when we post this episode. We'll link it in the episode. Oh, so you're going to get you're even so more viral. Videos. You're so viral um, right now. You don't even know. I'll get like, be our I'll hottest, get like 15 clips. Most viral guest ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Well, Appreciate my friend, it. thanks for joining us. I'm not only jealous of your career, but I'm really jealous of that Gearbox logo behind your right shoulder. So <laughs> you're really about the game on me once again. I appreciate you doing that and keeping me, keeping well, me going. Well, well, you know, I, I think so, so I, I, I'm a numbers guy. I both me and Excel. You need to find people who are good at ones and zeros, and they'll they'll be the ones that can help you out. Um, 
Fortunately, I've got hundreds. Okay, that's good. Yeah. I'm an Excel guy myself. I'm really, give me an Excel spreadsheet. I can make magic. Uh, right. That other thing. <laughs> it's, the other, it's the other ones and zeros that, that yeah. I'm not good at, but I'm, I'm fortunate that I have people that do. Um, yeah, well, well, you know, maybe next time we could cook up one for you guys. That would be great. Ah, that's what I like to hear. There you go. Well, thanks again, Ryan. Well, I pre- appreciate, appreciate the time. Yeah, we'll talk to you soon and good luck to all what you guys got going on. Yeah, I think there'll be more stuff to talk about soon. That's awesome. awesome. Thanks, oh, Sean. Oh, that's appreciate a, it. By the way, that's like an Easter egg he just gave us right there. We know. right there, Keith. Yeah, not going to work. Well, next time we, we can have him on and he can shame me about not seeing Top Gun or something like that. The next movie that everybody wants don't to see. You that, dare. But that Dude, I don't you dare. I'm dragging your ass to Top Gun. <laughs> <laughs> don't you no, I'm going. I, that's that. I've said that a million times. I will be there opening weekend, no doubt. You know what? Maybe yeah. this is the communal experience. We all go to, you're in Austin, right? Are you in Austin? Yeah, we're Dallas. Uh, Dallas area. Oh, we're gonna go to Dallas and we're gonna watch Top Gun together, the three of us. <laughs> and any of your other Fox buddies, we're gonna drag their butts to Dallas and we can finally have this oh. uh, Fox I'm, reunion. I'm, I'm, I'm up for that, man. We'll, <laughs> let's, I'm, I, I would have seen Maverick ten times by now. They let me. Yeah, I know. I know. I've had a very good authority. As I say it again, it's a really good movie. So I'm fingers crossed. I can't wait. Yeah, excited. Can't wait. All hey, right, Sean. Cool. You have a good one. Thanks, Sean. See you guys. See you, buddy.